Hey, this is Bridget. And this is Emily. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today, I'm pretty thrilled to talk about a topic that if you know me or have ever listened to an episode of this show, you know is very important to me, and that is hair. We've actually done a whole episode unpacking the feminist ramifications of hair. Many folks might just think it's the stuff that grows on your head that doesn't really have much to do about anything, but actually hair is a pretty sensitive and thorny topic, particularly for women of color. And I was really impressed and amazed by how many of our listeners, Bridget, wrote in telling us about their hair journeys. And a lot of you even made the big chop after listening to our podcast about hair. So we've been diving into lots of other tangents and conversations around hair. And hopefully we can continue this conversation even further on social media and through email with all of y'all. But today's story, it sort of combines policing women's speech and the episode we did around hair, because it hammers on this idea that women of color's hair is much more heavily policed than what is considered traditionally white hair. Isn't that right? That's completely right. In doing research for this episode, I was really shocked by some of the stories that I came across. I've always heard colloquially of stories of women, you know, getting in trouble at work for a certain kind of hairstyle, but really... When you look at how young this starts for a lot of women of color, it's it's pretty troubling. There have been so many stories of young women getting kicked out of sports teams or getting suspended just because of how they've chosen to wear their hair. Yeah. I mean, this is an issue that is not just about how you like to wear your hair. It's about what other people consider appropriate. And that is what bothers me the most. In the Malden Charter School in the Boston area, they actually served up detention slips to two students for wearing box braids, according to the Boston Globe. The 15-year-old twins, Deanna and Maya Scott, were pulled from their sports teams and told they were not allowed to go to prom. What? Yeah, and again, it kind of goes back to the episode we did around dress codes, where something so seemingly arbitrary and not important is impacting your ability to just have a normal day-to-day as a student. Or gain an education. Exactly. It's And it's not white girl braids, it's box braids on little black girls' heads. Exactly. Another story I found really interesting was out of Pretoria High School for Girls, where girls were told to, quote-unquote, fix their hair if they were wearing it in a natural state. Things like dreadlocks, loose braids, and cornrows had diameter restrictions. And again, if you have thick hair like I do, coarse hair, someone can't arbitrarily tell you, oh, your dreadlock or your twist or your braid needs to be X in diameter. Your hair kind of makes that choice on its own. You don't really have a lot of control over it if you're if you're wearing your hair natural. And these girls actually didn't take this sitting down. They held protests in order to be able to fight to have their natural hair. And this is the part that bothers me the most, that the way your hair as a young black woman naturally comes out of your skull is deemed inappropriate here. And at the same time, you know, on the other side of the country, there are girls who are adapting their hair and trying to tame their hair in an attempt to be more appropriate, to fix their hair with box braids. And they're told also that's not appropriate. It's infuriating to think that You know, this arbitrary condemnation on the way that your hair is naturally presenting itself isn't even, there's not even a case here for, oh, you're distracting the boys. It's not about sexualizing. It's about saying, here's what's appropriate for your presentation physically that will be deemed somehow tolerable by the masses. I just, it seems arbitrary and it seems disproportionately condemning young black women. 
Oh, no doubt. And I also think, you know, when you're, if you're a young black woman and you get braids, braids is the style that I used to wear my hair in for summer camp, right? Like, if you make the choice to get braids, that's clearly a style that you're, you know, it's a style that can get you through a summer or a few months without a lot of upkeep. And so it's not like when you wear braids, it's not necessarily a fashion statement. A lot of times it's the style where your mom is just like, uh, we'll get you braids. Let's not have to deal with it for a while. And right. telling, telling people that they can't use the style that has been in our, in our cultural identity for so long, I think is, is maddening. And this is not an anomaly, unfortunately. Lawson Brown High School told black girls with natural hair that they needed to tie their afros up to make them more beautiful, according to a South African news outlet. So this is by no means a uniquely American problem. This is happening across the globe in a way that has to cause us some pause. And it is kind of interesting how this topic in today's story really intersects between policing women's speech, school dress codes, and the feminist politics of hair, all centered around one woman's sort of symbolic fight with the law on just how real this issue can get. So when we use words like policed, you might be thinking, oh, policing hair, that seems a little bit extreme, Bridget. I don't think anyone's getting arrested over hair, over braids. You would be wrong if you thought that because Isis Brantley of Dallas, Texas, was actually arrested after a 20-year legal battle where she fought for the right to braid hair and teach others to braid hair in Texas. We're going to dig into her incredible, incredible story after this quick break. And we're back. And I want to talk about Isis Brantley because her story, I think, is one that people don't really know about. And it's wild. So basically, Isis is a hairdresser in Dallas, Texas. She's been doing braids and braiding hair since 1979. So she has this long legacy of braiding hair, showing others how to braid hair. And really, it seems like for Isis, it's a big part of how she expresses her cultural heritage. She she calls it healing through hair. It's a big part of who she is. But unfortunately, in Dallas, Texas, because of really, really kind of over-the-top regulation, Isis is, was not able to legally braid hair in Texas. So she was doing so in kind of this undercover, off-the-books kind of, I don't know what you want to call it. I don't want to say black market, but what's the word? <laughs> no, it's like, it's basically like being a Facebook entrepreneur, which is what I see more often. Like, you know, it's funny to talk about Texas as an overregulated liberal state full of too much government. You know, that makes me crack up yeah. from an entrepreneur's perspective. And also the fact that I am, like, railing against government <laughs> regulation. regulation. I know. <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> what is this? This topic has put us on weird sides of issues. But, yeah, no, so what's interesting is she wasn't licensed as a cosmetologist. And basically because the law thinks of cosmetology and hair styling as something that inherently involves dangerous chemicals and pollutants and toxic ingredients because a lot of hair treatments involving white women's hair or just dyeing hair and cutting hair definitely fall into that category. There's no space in the licensing code, in the business code in Texas for a business owner like Isis, because for Isis, she doesn't use chemicals or dyes or any coloring agents. It's all natural, and there was no way for her to get a cosmetology license to fully and legally operate her business without 
some really intensive accrediting? Basically, what it comes down to is that if she wanted to be able to legally braid hair, she had to take a 1,500-course-hour cosmetology class where she would have to master skills like trimming and shaving mustaches and shampooing and using chemical straighteners and chemical bleaches, things that she doesn't do in her shop, things that are really more geared toward white men and people who are not there to get their hair braided. And so it didn't make any sense that if she wanted to be able to legally practice this craft that she's been practicing for 20 years, she'd have to spend lots and lots of time and money demonstrating her efficiency with these skills that had nothing to do with her trade. Right. And she would have to, of course, pay for that schooling and And she would have to, I mean, that's like at 40 hours a week, that's like 37 and a half weeks of training. And very rarely are women going to cosmetology programs full time because you've got to work on the side most of the time. So this is more like a two-year initiative or a two-year investment that she would have to make. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about all the regulatory deets in a second, but... Here's where this comes to a head. So she's been braiding since 1979. And two decades later, after a long, drawn-out fight, in 1997, seven uniformed and undercover officers handcuffed ISIS in front of her customers and dragged her out of her salon in Dallas. Dragging and handcuffing this woman like a violent criminal because she had been found guilty of the offense of braiding hair without a cosmetology license. Are you kidding me? I mean, I can't even imagine being put in handcuffs and dragged out of your own salon because you're trying to braid hair, something you've been doing your whole life, and probably your mom did to you, and that you know her mom did to her. Like, right. It makes no sense. It's government run amok. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I would use the phrase government regulation run amok, but this is government regulation run amok, y'all. Right? And at the same time, you know that, like, the hedge fund bankers who tanked our economy and who are, like, committing fraud in the billions of dollars wouldn't get dragged out in handcuffs. But totally. let's crack down and, like, physically remove the small business owner craftswoman who's been using no pollutants to naturally braid hair for a living. Yeah, that's a good use of our taxpayer dollars. Yeah, it makes it makes no sense and it's infuriating. Um, what I think is really interesting is that when ISIS was asked by Cosmo magazine, you know, did you ever just think about getting your cosmetology license and just, you know, braiding hair that way? Here's what she said. Absolutely not, because I'm not a cosmetologist. I don't use chemicals or any type of unhealthy or caustic chemicals or anything that would hurt the client. No sharp instruments or anything like that. They did shut my business down. Me and my five kids became homeless. And one of the community leaders gave me his house. And from there, I just tried to put my pieces together and not fall apart. I just started braiding in that particular house. And so... Again, from this quote, you really see a few things. One, she doesn't feel like it's fair to regulate her as a cosmetologist when she's not doing these things. She specifically says, I don't use chemicals. I'm ideologically opposed to using chemicals and things like that. So why force her to, you know, get get a certification saying that she can use them? Where are the libertarians on this? Well, Shouldn't they be rallying behind well, her? Well, they actually did. Really? <laughs> yeah. Later in the story, it's actually the libertarians who sort of come to her crusade. Oh, that's um, so, funny. so again, kind of strange bedfellow in this though. hair braiding. Well, when you think about it, she's she says that she pretty much only uses her hands for her craft. And this is a craft that she's also professionally training other people in. And she's basically pointing out the fact that the government code does not account for a business like hers. Yeah, and even going further, I think something that you said earlier about braiding and hairstyling being this sort of underground economy that really operates on Instagram and Facebook. I mean, full disclosure, when I wear braids, I found my hair braider on Instagram, and she's amazing, and I don't know the ins and outs of her, whatever, but 
she's great. This regulation does not allow for these braiders to have on the books economies. They're forced to do things like set up on Instagram and braid out of their kitchen and have it be not really on the books, not totally legit. I mean, yeah, and it's a problem that needs to be solved. And maybe if we had more black women making laws in our country we would have accounted for these kinds of businesses already. I think this is such a great example how a lack of diversity in leadership can actually have ramifications that just completely does not account for the realities of so many people's lives and businesses. And that's one of the reasons I'm so happy that natural hair and braiding advocates have been steadily making noise about this issue for quite some time. Uh, braiding advocates have been, you know, lobbying lawmakers and politicians and really asking them to do something about this regulation. And back in 1997, the Congressional Black Caucus actually held a forum all about discussing regulation in the braiding and natural black hair community. And after a decade of fighting for reform, in 2007, Texas acquiesced and created a separate 35-hour hair braiding certificate, which is much more reasonable than 1,500, you know, hours of training and certification for how to use sharp objects that are never going to be relevant to a hair braiding business. Exactly. And I think furthermore, as someone who wears braids a lot, I'm not saying that hair braiding should not be regulated at all. Right. I'm not saying that there aren't risks involved when you're braiding somebody's hair. You could braid it too tight or things could be, you know, you could have problems with sanitation. My God. Just like like you could have with any other, you know, hairstyling, whatever. But I think 35 hours of courses dedicated solely to the thing that you are doing, as opposed to 1,500 hours of courses dedicated to stuff that you'll never do, or perhaps you are ideologically opposed to doing, and that's why you got into hair braiding in the first place. The 35-hour course just makes a lot more sense. Right. And it feels like they finally have filled that gap and that blind spot in the legal code. I love to learn that the state grandfathered, although I would say grandmothered, ISIS in, and they even went as far as to honor her as the first natural hair care expert in the state. So now she could finally practice hair braiding for a living without operating in the shadows. So certainly a huge victory for hair braiding in the natural hair community, but unfortunately, it doesn't end there. And we'll talk about why that is after this quick break. And we're back. And we were just talking about Isis Brantley's quest to braid hair in Texas. So after Isis Brantley was successful in terms of getting Texas to change their regulation and let hair braiders braid hair with just the 35-hour course, her fight didn't end there. One of the things that Brantley did in her shop, in addition to braiding hair, was teaching others to braid hair. And unfortunately, in Texas, this was still not allowed. Once again, under the existing state laws, shops that teach braiding need to meet the requirements, again, that have little to do with braiding itself, like setting up a 2,000-square-foot barber college equipped with 10 sinks, short-haired mannequins, and reclining barber chairs. So if you've ever, like me, been a very cheap haircut seeker or get your hair cut and colored so often that the only way it's affordable is to go to a beauty school to get those services done. Is that your secret? That is totes my secret (laughs) until I taught myself how to bleach my own hair without it falling off all the time, sometimes. But (laughs) if you're like me, you've been to a school like this, you've seen what they look like. The idea that ISIS would be barred from having 
any functional space to legally teach her craft of hair braiding, once again, falls into this gray area, falls into this sort of no man's land or no woman's land when it comes to the legal requirements being far greater than what would apply had these laws been centered around black hair as opposed to white hair being the the, the basis of all of these Exactly. Rules. So if ISIS legally wanted to be able to teach others just to braid hair in Texas, she would have to spend 2,250 hours in barber school learning things like shaving beards and mustaches and chemically straightened hair, pass four exams, spend thousands of dollars on tuition, and a fully equipped barber college that she doesn't need all to just teach others to do a 35-hour hair braiding curriculum that pretty much just uses your fingers and braiding hair. Right. So even though they had changed the regulation for what's required to be a professional hair braider to 35 hours, they didn't go ahead and, while they're at it, update the law on teaching certification and and being able to teach others that 35-hour curriculum. Oh, politics. It's maddening. (laughs) It's maddening. And again, can you imagine investing in things like barber chairs that you just will never use, spending thousands of dollars just to do this, just to teach this one specific thing? You mean you don't need a barber chair to get your hair braided in a washbowl? All you need to get your hair braided (laughs) is a stool and like your mom and like a kitchen. Plenty of time. Maybe your aunt, some good stories. If you, if you, you don't need to wrap your face with a hot towel. No. <laughs> For some reason, that scene from The Little Mermaid is coming up. Do you remember that? When he, like, makes a hot towel, like, pile on some the prince's face or somebody? Oh, yeah! And then the seagull, like, nests in it? You mean you don't need to sit like that? You can your get hair your hair braided if no seagulls are required. <laughs> what the hell was with that scene? I don't That's know. It's a weird scene. It is a weird We're scene. Gonna, I'm going to have to go rewatch The Little yeah. Mermaid. It's my, fa- my favorite Disney movie. Same. No. I was always an Ariel. Me too. <gasps> oh my god. We have to do, do. We have to do an episode on the Disney princess. We do. Like situation. We do. <laughs> to be determined or to be continued rather. So let's talk about these libertarians for a second. I I, I predicted this earlier because really what ISIS is doing is railing against out of date over regulation and big government in a state like Texas, I'm thinking there's going to be so many red-blooded American patriots who agree with her and think, you're right, government is too big and too burly. And as it turned out, Brantley teamed up with a nonprofit legal firm, Institute for Justice, which is the nation's only libertarian civil liberties public interest law firm. I don't know how all of those things combine into one law firm, but apparently they do. According to their website. And they filed a federal lawsuit against the state of Texas to fight the requirements, which I think is the appropriate way to do this. But isn't it funny to think about this woman has just been trying to braid and teach hair braiding. Like, since 1979, now she's taken it to court. I find yeah, that fascinating. Would, you would never think that this is going to be the kind of thing that would set off this libertarian civil liberties regulation firestorm. I love it. And I know I talk a lot about how I am not cool with deregulation in, in our country, but this is one of those times where I think <laughs> the libertarians are onto something because clearly this is something that's being over-regulated and the regulations are not keeping up with what actually is the reality of how hair braiding is being practiced in the United States. Right. So, Bridget Todd, libertarian. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> don't let that get out. Ah, just kidding. So to bring it back to the the lawsuit that they filed together, what I find so interesting is the case that they were making when filing a lawsuit against Texas is that 
braiding, the issue of regulating braiding, wasn't just an issue related to cultural expression and, I would argue, a lack of intersectionality in our legal code, but it was also about economic empowerment. Because the cosmetology and barber licensing laws, in all 50 states really, were really based off of white hair techniques. They had a virtual monopoly over all forms of hairstyling and licensing, which basically disproportionately forced hair braiders and other practitioners that focused on black women's cosmetics and hair to operate underground. And many would-be business owners and entrepreneurs were discouraged from pursuing their business enterprise altogether. So as a result, they argued, quote, natural hair care providers are consigned to the status of an outsider, still fighting for their right to economic liberty. What I love so much about that quote is that it really hammers home how this is not just a cultural or racial issue. It's an economic empowerment issue. If these women who have been practicing this skill that their mom or grandma taught them forever could actually make a legitimate on-the-books living, that would really empower them economically. But because of this regulation, basically it's forcing these women to stay in the shadows and not declare their money to the IRS and sort of keep it all off the books. And it really prevents them from fully contributing to their local economic communities. And this is an important thing to consider when you look at the, the bigger picture, which is that black women business owners have been outpacing all other startups six times the national average. Wow. So the number of businesses opened by minority women have increased from one to six in 1997 to one in three in 2015, according to the State of Women-Owned Businesses report by American Express Open. So we're losing economic opportunity from the small business community when we disproportionately regulate and and basically squeeze out all these would-be entrepreneurs based on implicit racism in our legal code. So it's just a, a good reminder that we're also missing out on tax dollars and on, you know, creating more opportunity and jobs, which is why I love that this black woman hair braider has teamed up with the libertarians to make a case that's about economic empowerment and cultural competency. It's just such a fascinating spin on this issue. And there's so many interesting intersections here. Again, it's race issues, gender issues, economic issues, political issues, regulation issues, local ordinances, hair. It's it's a lot. There's a lot going on here. And one thing I wanted to highlight from what you just said, Emily, is that Because she teaches other women how to braid hair, she's really giving that economic empowerment to others. So she's not just saying, I want to braid hair and leave it at that. She's saying, no, I want to empower other women who can learn this skill, learn this trade and build up their, build up their businesses. I want to give them the tools to do that and make sure that we create a self-sustaining economy of black women. When the skill is software engineering and the audience is white dudes, we call this a startup accelerator. Just something to think about. Like, she has a startup accelerator for the craft of hair braiding. I love the idea of a black hair startup accelerator. (laughs) If that's not already a thing, someone make that a thing. (laughs) Please. So to wrap up what really happened with ISIS's story, she teamed up with the Libertarians and sued Texas for, and I love this, (laughs) quote, a rational application of laws and regulations, which I just think is so, (laughs) such a good, that that was actually a lot, the first line from her official lawsuit, which I love. And 
She won. She was successful. She successfully changed Texas's laws. In January of 2015, a federal judge struck down the Texas laws on hair braiding. Basically, they said that it was unconstitutional for the state of Texas to regulate an ancestral art form, and it's unconstitutional for them to require ISIS to become a full-fledged barbering college before they'll give her permission to run a natural hair school in her own community. Snaps for that. That is amazing. And I I do think... In this case, we can look to Texas for inspiring stories of regulation gone right (laughs) on this one. Shout out to all our Texas listeners. What I think is really interesting is the use of the word ancestral art, which adds that sort of aspect of cultural identity here. And Brantley herself talked about how the crackdown on hair braiding was really an attack on black identity when speaking to NPR. African hair was enslaved in this country. It was removed from American social systems. We weren't allowed to be seen in public with afros and twists and locks and braids. You could not go anywhere. And if you look at the industry today and look at the um, the workforce, people cannot go to work looking a certain kind of way if it's too ethnic. Our children are being forced not to wear afro puffs to schools and cornrows to schools. So it's an attack. On African identity, that's what I see. The cosmetology industry wasn't designed hundreds of years ago. It wasn't created with African hair in mind. You know, it was created for the the people who enjoy the industry now. We don't have a place in that industry. So it's all about culture. That's what I'm saying. This Our culture, African hair, is the last thing that's enslaved on African people. African people with African hair who know more about African hair, should govern their own industry. Hell yeah. I could not agree more. You know, hair braiding has been in my family forever. If you look at pictures of me when I was a kid, my hair was pretty much always in braids. Can we have those in the show notes, please? Oh, I might. Baby Bridget. Uh, I want to see a baby Bridget photo. You can see some baby Bridget. <laughs> well, we'll show you some baby braided Bridget where I look like, <laughs> I look like an extra from the show Moesha. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I love that she talks about the way that this is inherent to African-American and African cultural expression and that a crackdown on that is not just a crackdown on on the economic aspect of that, which it certainly is, but it's also a crackdown on the cultural aspect of it. And she goes on to also make the case that her victory beyond the cultural significance is a win for black economic liberty. It's a win for entrepreneurship and a chance for braiders to come out of the shadows and develop their full potential as business owners. When speaking with Cosmopolitan, Brantley talked about the fact that this victory brings those entrepreneurs out of the shadows. She says, many women, instead of hiding and having to practice their craft and run their business in their kitchen or at home, or risk having their doors kicked in by police who've come to those apartments to arrest them for violating the law, now those women have a vehicle through which to legally pursue their enterprise. So this is a huge victory for those entrepreneurs. This is definitely progress. But also, ISIS is a businesswoman who's been cracked down on for the better part of the last 20-plus years. Having won this long, drawn-out legal battle must feel great, but it also is like, this woman has five children who she's supported somehow by scraping her way through running a pseudo-legal, not-so-legal business to fight to make this regulation better. Now she's there 
how does she string it all together? How does she bounce back from that? And, of course, this is a a victory for her and other hair braiders, but it's not like she's starting out at an equal place. After having been cracked down on and pushed out of business for 20 years, spending a lot of her money on lawyers and legal fees and all of that, I mean, I I, I bet it's almost like a bittersweet victory for her. Yeah, because now she has the opportunity to go be a successful business owner. That's it. I think what she really won here is equal opportunity to pursue her enterprise. But that does not mean that running a business or any business really is an easy thing. And I can attest to that. Exactly. And one other thing I just wanted to say while we're talking about this is I don't want to make it seem like if you are braiding hair or doing hair in your kitchen and taking money under the table that you're somehow not doing it like that. I, I don't want to sound judgmental around that because that's certainly the situation with the person who does my hair. Sure. But I think that if you want to be able to come out of the shadows and be a full member of the your local economic community, you should be able to have that right. And so it's definitely something to look into with your chamber of commerce or your, I guess in D.C. it was the DCRA, like regulatory affairs, and go talk to the small business resources like the Small Business Association and inquire about how your state measures up to Texas. Or Texas has now made it much more appealing, I think, for hair braiders to open their business there. Yeah, so if you're a hair braider, maybe go to Texas. So what's been happening with, uh, I, I believe she, her website is naturallyisis.com. What's been happening with Isis Brantley? Well, as much as we just spent this entire episode talking about how great she is and how <laughs> courageous she is, I would be remiss to not mention that she did get in a little bit of hot water. Last year, she was putting together a natural hair rally, and she booked Rachel Dolezal to headline this rally to a lot of outcry. And y'all already know, if you've listened to our other episode around hair, right. you already know I have very strong feelings about Miss Dolezal. But I have to say, her hair always looked great. <laughs> On point. After the whole thing happened with her getting right. losing her job and losing her teaching job, she said that she was sustaining herself by braiding hair out of her apartment, which I gotta say, Wait, I mean, she, she knew what she was doing. Right. I mean is problematic, but yes, it's part of the the contention that is everything about Rachel Dolezal. Exactly. Which all of our listeners really had some mixed feelings and feedback on for us. Oh, I remember. It was an interesting debate, so I'm excited to hear what y'all think about how she fits into this picture. And so it's it's clear that Isis teaching other people to braid has definitely been a big part of how she's moved forward with her business. And you can check her out at naturallyisis.com. Um, where I'm looking at her website right now, she's got classes. You can book yourself to go get that natural hair certification. Um, and it's a big part of how she's empowering others economically, which I think she's is such a lifting good point. as she wait. Yeah, what is it? lift as she climbs. She's lifting as she climbs, which is Aww. one of our one of our little mottos here yeah. at Stuff I Never Told You. So, Sminty listeners, we want to hear from you. What do you think of this braiding saga? Is this news to you? Do you braid hair out of your apartment? Who does your hair? Have you ever thought about how these things are regulated? Whatever it is, we want to hear from you. You can tag us in all your hair Instagram photos on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. You can tweet at us at MomStuffPodcast or send us an email at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. Thank you.